SteinbachOnline.com, the voice of our community. Joined with head coach of the Steinbach Pistons, Paul Dick. Paul, uh, thanks for making it to uh, A. Steinbach and, and B. <laughs> in studio. It's been a while since you've been around. That's right. Uh, well, it's good to be here, Dave, and talking hockey again. A little bit of a longer summer than last year, so uh, you got a little bit more time to do some work. What keeps you busy in the summer? Yeah, our offseason's a little longer this year, so, um, you know, playing as deep as we did last year, it certainly um, shortened my, my, my scouting window, and um, so it's that's one of the positives of, of maybe having our season end a little shorter or earlier than, than we desired, but... Um, so, you know, I've been pretty active scouting and, and a di- few different events outside of the province. And so, um, you know, just looking to b- rebuild a team and losing a, a good number of players again. So um, that that's probably been the number one priority. Obviously, there's the business side of things as well. We have a draft coming up. Um, um, you know, a couple of um, support staff members that we're looking to uh, – or, or, or that are that are that are leaving us af- leaving us after being with us for some time so you know replacing a few staff members too so you know what it's uh, we have a small group in the office and uh you know there's always a lot of things that keep us busy golf turning golf tournament that's coming up as well so um you know it's uh it's a diverse line of work yeah, so now we get to break that all down. Now we get to go into the subcategories of right. that. Uh, there was an old show that I used to watch when I was growing up. It's called Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? And I kind of think, now where in the world is Paul Dick sometimes? <laughs> you mentioned you're out of province. Uh, do you want Can you specifically say where you've been over the last little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, had an opportunity to uh, go to the TELUS Cup, which was in Thunder Bay, which is the National Midget AAA Championships. And the hometown of yours truly. Just I uh, know that they don't that have right, to sign Dave? up yet, but they will yeah, eventually. There you go. And uh, a few of our few of our current and former players, Brandon Martin, Brandon Martin. Daniel McKittrick, Tyler Anton. Yep. Uh, so good, it's a good hockey city, let me tell it you. It is a good hockey city. That's right. Um, yeah, from there I went to an event in Minneapolis, a uh, showcase where we've been able to we've had some success recruiting players from in the past including uh easton bennett uh brady tatro jared uh, lolly jared uh jared lolly austin heideman uh so you know hopefully we have that that type of uh success from this event yeah, all and, champions <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right you know there's some real good character character kids there as well um was in calgary for what was known formally as the rbc cup which yeah. is the national junior a championships in brooks and uh, at an event in Toronto here this past week, a uh, showcase where we've, um, you know, discovered Matt Graham and, and, and Declan Graham. So, um, yeah, just, uh, you know, making connections and, and um, you know, trying to find that next uh, that next superstar. Like next you superstar. found Austin Heideman. You, you know, he was kind of a diamond in the rough kind of guy. Easton Bennett was here for two years. Brady Tatro would have been here for two years. It, yeah. They don't just fall into your lap. It's a lot of legwork that you have to put in. And, and for yourself to be able to go to all these events and, and you know, have the board uh, of the Pistons kind of support you in, in that right. to wanting to build the best franchise, what does that mean to you? Well, it's obviously we're very grateful for that opportunity. I mean, it's it's I think it's there's a couple of, of things there. One, it's... Um, it continues to get our brand out there and we connect with different programs, NCAA programs, uh, different coaches from across our country. And, um, you know, I think it just keeps you top of mind with, with some people. Obviously we want those schools to be attracted to our program. So it gives me an opportunity to have some, some really good conversations with, 
um, you know, coaching staffs from other programs and, and they, they, you know, they kind of paint a picture of kind of what we're all about. And obviously uh, we've had players move on that have had success at the next level. So, um, and, you know, and then obviously the recruiting piece is, is massive and it's very competitive. It's very competitive within our province. Um, so you always want to kind of have an upper leg on some of the other clubs. So we've taken a very aggressive approach in, in recruiting in the past. We hope to continue to do that. We're, you know, thankful we have the resources to make that happen. And um, um, so, you know, and I think, you know, once you get one or two players, let's say from Southern Ontario, from uh, North Dakota or Minnesota, and they come here and they have a favorable experience, it certainly in, um, benefits the next wave of recruiting. Yeah, I think one of the best recruiters Steinbeck ever had was maybe Bradley Schoonbird because <laughs> he just he seemed to know everybody. That's right. And everybody seemed to like him and, and they wanted to be a part of wherever he was kind of thing. So players talking to players is huge when it comes to recruiting. It's huge. It's huge. It's uh, You really can't, um, you know, underestimate the value. I think they have, the players become your, your marketers, mm-hmm. essentially. So you want them to have that a favorable experience where they're, you know, proud to be Steinbeck Pistons or alumni. Yep. And, um, you know, because when that next wave of kids is coming through, uh, they can have a tremendous amount of influence on them. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, those are their peers. I mean, I, as, a, as a coach and, and general manager, I can, I can uh, speak with a young player that's potentially interested in us. Um, and hopefully there's a little bit of impact there, but you know, I think when a player's gone through it, come yeah. through our system, and they have that same conversation, I think it's much more impactful. Well, they ask the little questions that, you know, the coaches and GMs can't really ask. What do you do with downtime? How close is the team? Sure. What is uh, what is it like after practice? What are the rules and expectations like? Yeah. You know, the does pl- everybody follow them? That's like- right. And the players are probably going to give them an unfiltered, not that mine's a filtered version, but they've lived it. They've yeah. had that experience, and... um uh, for me, obviously, I'm going to want to paint a positive picture of what, you know, coming to Steinbach's all about. Some of them are coming from a large market. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Toronto to Steinbach's, it's a much different culture. Or even down in the States. I mean, um, you know, St. Louis was, uh, was up here this year. I mean, it's, it's That's crazy. Right. That's right. You know, some of the Americans even just coming to Canada and, and putting them at ease with that transition and, and, you know, having the chance to meet their parents in some of the, um, you know, in some of the trips, very beneficial they get to, you know, uh, hopefully there's a comfort level after we speak. And uh, I also get to see, you know, the type of family the player's coming from and obviously the character and um, comes into play with some of the decisions that we make as well. Uh, back to the team now. There's uh, a bit of a more open space for this team than there was in years past. You're losing, mm-hmm. I think, uh, seven 20-year-olds plus Matt Radomski, uh, Brendan Westbrook, Tristan Culleton have found opportunities uh, down in the States as well. So a lot of openings. What did you learn at the the National Junior A Championships that maybe you're going to take to building this team for not just this year, but if you want to do a two- or three-year uh, run? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I think, uh, you know, the game has gotten faster, right? And um, um, so, you know, playing at a certain pace, obviously, if you want to contend at a national level is one of our objectives. Um, on the flip side of that is... You know, we've seen we, we've we've seen a return to some heaviness in the game too. If you look at the two teams in the national 
in the NHL Finals, we've got two teams that play heavier in the St. Louis Blues and the Boston Bruins. So there is an element of that that is still needed at our level as well. Well, you could say that Swan was uh, the reason they won was the, that heaviness of that second and third line. Absolutely. So that was uh, one of the issues we had in that series was contending with their bigger bodies that could also move. Yeah. So, you know, you can't have the old uh, six foot four, two thirty that plot around the ice. They have to be able to move. So a combination of speed and size. Uh, so, you know, we've, we've targeted some, some bodies that are, are definitely going to, um, you know, compliment us in that area. And then, uh, you know, guys that can think fast and play fast, uh, that's obviously our, uh, on our wish list. So, you know, you're not always able to obtain exactly every player that you would love to have. But, um, you know, I think with the pieces we have returning, they understand what our goals and objectives are and, and how we desire to play. Uh, so hopefully they're they're training accordingly this summer, you know, and making strides. And we feel like we have some good pieces in place. And I'm excited about some of the guys returning and, and uh, taking their game to the next level. I remember five years ago, you and I were having a discussion. And you talked to, uh, specifically then about Jordan Bohinski and Tyler Penner because they were part of your championship run in 2012-2013. And you talked about them being so important coming up through the system to teach younger guys what it takes to get to that level. We have more guys like uh, Tanner Mould, Declan Graham. They're back in place for next year as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, just not to say that success isn't always critical, but for those guys to teach the younger players how to be successful and win at, at different levels like our league and out of it, how much do you put a weight on that uh, for those guys coming back and, and doing that? Well, I think that's crucial. I think it's part of our it, – it, it allows our culture to continue as well. The new players come in, they see how uh, they prepare themselves, how they – handle themselves on and off the ice, um, you know, how committed they are to our program. And, um, you know, we have first-year players that that expectation is going to fall on them as well. They're heading into their second year. Yeah. And uh, so there's an, an element of leadership that's that, that we expect from them as well, despite the fact that they are likely not going to wear a letter. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. like, I mean, you look at the championship team a couple of years ago, Mark Wilson didn't wear a letter, Drew Orr didn't Absolutely. wear a letter, but they were all, they were leaders in that room. And you can look at a guy like Caden Cleland or Max Neal and think, exactly. uh, well, that's who, they, that's who they're going to be this year. Exactly. You know, so, uh, and I think they're also looking at this as an opportunity to assume a larger role and assume some of that leadership. And, you know, we, we've uh, had some, some key guys that are that are moving on in that area and the first one that come to mind is Tyson McConnell and yeah. you know how he plays how he practices and um, I, I think a lot of the guys will have learned from that example so and everybody has their own style on, on how they lead so we're not asking anybody to you know replicate what Tyson how Tyson led or how the year before how Braden Pertil led or how Colin Beaudry led you know bring your own style but um, um, like We've, we mention it every year. Even our rookies, we have some young players or first-year guys that can lead by example as well, and yeah. uh, you know, and and contribute too, and and um, through voice as well. I mean, we've, you know, Kyle Bettens has had some experience as well. He was a young kid this last year, but um, you know, all of all of those guys have had some experience at the midget level, and the guys that have won. Yeah. Um, 
Big one one being the man, and now they're they're coming in to be a piece of something. It's a little adjust. It's an adjustment for a lot of guys. Oh, no question. It is a it's a big adjustment. Yeah. I mean, uh, players that are playing junior hockey typically were top midget players. Yeah, they're studs. So they played huge roles on their teams. Yeah. And now they're uh, playing on a team where you know everybody was a top six guy at some point or a yeah. top four defenseman at some point in their midget career. So. Uh, it's an adjustment. It's just like when they go to the next level, they'll, they'll have to deal with that again. And then, uh, obviously, at the professional level, when you say that 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 <laughs> weaning fork or the yeah, it, it, it's a uh, it's a steep it, it, it's a steep uh, um, and there's a lot of attrition there along the way too. But um, well, yeah, those kids learning to play sixty plus games plus practice plus school plus the outside responsibilities. It's a lot for a junior A player, especially as a rookie, maybe coming either from the midget or from the states, especially as well. It's oh, a lot on their shoulders. Oh no, no doubt about it. I mean, if you look and reflect on the year that you know we went to the RBC Cup in seventeen eighteen, and I think we were in the ninety game range. Yeah. Well, if you're if you're taking a player that's played midget the year before and they played forty four games and some playoff games, uh, you know, max they're probably at sixty. The practices aren't as intense. Their travel schedule is not as intense. Um, the pressures are not quite as high, yep. so um, it's a big step, big step, and it's something that comes with a price. I think the guys were worn out at the end of the last season. Um, it took them some time to recover, both mentally and physically. So there's a toll with 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 having those types of seasons. I know guys, um, you know, it shortens their preparation for the upcoming season as well. So. I always admire the teams in the NHL that have those long Stanley Cup runs year after year after year because yeah. it does, uh, you know, when you look at having that take place three or four years in a row, you're almost adding another season yeah. onto, you know, their bodies. Well, and you think about what they do in the NHL and what they can do is, is they can have the same leadership core for extended periods. That's right. You do not have that luxury. You have a, no. a core change and a culture change. It seems like almost every two or three years mm-hmm. tops. So how do you deal with that? Because, uh, again, it's ever-changing, and it's a moving target. That, absolutely. You're right. It's a unique business in that way. In most businesses outside of the game, they have their, their management teams and their uh, key employees are often long-term employees. In most cases, they want to secure them as long as possible. We often would like to do that. We're just not able to because they age out on us. Yeah. So they graduate due to you know being a 20-year-old. So. Um, yeah, it's something that we have to stay on top of. Sometimes you feel like you're going into the new year, uh, assuming that everybody, because you've been spreading the same message, you've been, you know, stressing the same key points year after year after year. So, um, you know, sometimes I forget personally that, look, these guys are new. They haven't been here. They haven't heard this before. Right. Uh, they need you know, need to know what expectations are in, in all aspects and be, and be reminded of that as well. So uh, there's a lot of teaching that takes place. And, and um, but, you know, we, we as coaches need to remind ourselves at times that we can't make assumptions that players know what expectations are or right. what, what we want to see from them. Yeah, that's, and, that's a really good point. And uh, what, what a Steinbach piston is. Yeah, and, and it's a lot because, like we were saying, it's it's not just on ice, it's off ice as well, and the community cares so much. Uh, talking with head coach of Steinbach Pistons, Paul Dick, and again, we just, you know, you go out and about and you wear a Pistons hat or you, you see a Pistons championship T-shirt out even in the summer. I mean, 
people in this area care about this team, and they have a vested interest in this team. No because question. Because of the players. Yeah, that's what it is. I mean, they are our product. Yeah. So, you know, we're not selling. We don't have lawnmowers. We, <laughs> we have hockey players, and, and uh, that is our that is our product. That's our greatest asset, and, and they are, uh, you know, and they've done a tremendous job of getting out in our community and giving back. And, you know, with, with the, when the new ownership transition took place in the summer of 2012, you know, we had a lot of discussion around, you know, making this Steinbach and the Regions team yeah. where they take ownership of it. And, uh, you know, we, we've seen that. I mean, uh, we've seen that through a full house and our uh, number one attendance, the attendance across for, the league. Yeah. yeah, it's five consecutive years where we've led the league in attendance. So that's that's awesome. You know, being from Steinbach, that, that makes me very proud that, that, that we get that type of support and, and the players want to play in front of a full house you don't want to go to a building where um you know you have 150 people scattered sporadically throughout the building so it makes it these experience here in steinbeck special well and with that said too like how many times do we travel places and there's 100 steinbeck fans that come That's out right. and make a whole lot of noise every time our boys come out on the ice right it's something really special yeah you know we have we have a tremendous following uh, both home and away yeah. and some very very dedicated and passionate fans so you wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, sometimes we hear about it when you know if we lose and we should have won, but uh, it wouldn't trade it because, uh, um, you know, if they were if they were indifferent, then that's the probably, that's the problem, right? That's right. Anger is okay because at least <laughs> anger some form of fashion. <laughs> that's right. Uh, we will talk about training camp as we get closer to training camp because well, you know, the more players will come in, and we know how it's going to be a very competitive camp this year. You can already tell with the work that you've put in. So we'll talk about training camp later on. Let's talk about the draft because that's a huge. A uh, huge part of this team's future, as it is every year, not just for the players you're drafting, but potential moves that can come out as well. There's been so many teams in the league that have been maybe more focused on hiring coaches and getting people in place in management. Maybe they haven't really been working on their rosters too much. Do you expect things to ramp up as we get into the weekend and the June 9th, June 9th draft? Yeah, no question. I think starting to see it already, just a little more communication with some of the clubs with you know player personnel. But... Um, um, things do the, the draft can, can spark you know some more movement at times uh, yes the the focal point of uh, of uh, the draft is obviously selecting bantam players that are moving on to midget so but that being said there's you know it's been a fruitful uh, day for us in, in other areas too you know I think probably the biggest draft day acquisition was Bradley Schoonberg that was a good one it was a good one yeah yeah so uh those don't come along every year. Those no. types of opportunities, uh, or ones that work out that well, um, but uh, you know we're definitely going to have our ears open to any other opportunities. I'm always interested on the trade front because you you go so hard scouting from like the moment that um, that we lost out versus Swan. You take a couple of weeks, but then you're back scouting. Is it um, you know you some players shake off a tree and you you have a surplus in a certain area, and then all of a sudden there's you know needs change, and mm-hmm. then you know it changes for different teams it seems like trading is a moving target Absolutely. especially in province i mean it's really hard to trade in province yes it is it, it is always difficult uh, to make those things happen and you know you have uh, some players that you'd like to target and you know you've played against and, and you'd love to have in your lineup but obviously those teams um you know want to retain their top assets as well or get your top assets or, for them absolutely yeah. you know we get we get uh um you know, 
requests as well for some of our guys that yeah. uh, have no intentions of moving or no desire to move. So, yeah. uh, and, and that's a good thing. Obviously, that means that you know they're being noticed and uh, you know they're they're playing the game the right way. And um, all all the member clubs in our team are looking to improve on a, on an annual basis. So, we're a couple of days away from the draft. Um, I know you you maybe won't tell me a name, but do you have an idea of who you plan on taking? in the first round because I know things will change as soon as that first round but yeah. do you have a player or maybe even two or three circled on on your board who you hope is going to be there when you select in the first round we do we do and uh you know we've we've finished compiling our draft list and our scouts have done a terrific job of doing that and yes yeah, you give them a shout out because they they're they are tireless workers yeah absolutely you know what Daryl Anning and Kim Ritt have have uh, a really good handle on our our bantam players in our province they're very experienced they're uh you know, just great hockey guys and uh, done a terrific job leading our draft the last seven years. So um, we we met last week, finalized our finalized our draft list. So we do have a player that that is at top of the board that uh, we would covet, and um, uh, yet there are you know there are others. So we draft in the ninth position this year. So that means there are eight players that get selected before. We get to make our first one, so it's a little higher than we've we've drafted the last few <laughs> years. But um, you know, a lot of good players are going to you know fall off the board here before we get to select, and then we have a second round pick. We don't have a third round selection this year, but we have two in the fourth. So um, you know, it's it's always uh, disappointing when you when you see the other selections uh, go by, and and um, but. You know, that and that can change on draft day too, right? Like that, you never know what's going to shake out on draft day. You're right. You're right. And everybody has, you know, maybe different needs or or or, or different uh, right. priorities. Maybe, yes, everybody's cupboard is a little bit different, right? That's right. Like, maybe, like Steinbach's very lucky; it's a very full cupboard. Uh, you know, a team like Wayways up and coming, they're gonna they're gonna look for players who are in a couple years going to make an impact on that program. So every, like you said, every team's needs are different. Yeah, and. We all have different opinions. Yes. You know, we view players differently. and <laughs> Every player selected at the draft in the first round will be the player the coaching and management wanted. <laughs> That's right. Regardless of where. Absolutely. You're do the Brian Burke, right? He, if he was available at number one. Yeah, we, we couldn't believe he was available. <laughs> you know, that's the standard line probably. But, you know, I think the reality is there's a, a couple players. If you're, if you're drafting eighth or ninth, there's a good chance that you're number one guy on the board. Um is gone yeah. by that time. So, but you've also identified that beforehand, and you you kind of know where your your guys are going to be in that seven, eight, nine, ten range. So you maybe you're looking at the guys in that sure. range as opposed to a top three, which will not drop to nine. That's right. Yeah, you know, and, and times teams, if in particular if they're top players that are available that fit into their uh, area geographically. Yeah, you know, you might want to take a player from your region if he's a, one of, a top player. Well, so especially for for teams that have trouble getting guys to uh, go to their particular programs, easier for a local guy. Yeah, yeah, no question. So sometimes that changes the changes the uh, the order of selection. Sure, and, and who might be available. Yeah, and it's it's uh, you, you it's not easy to draft in this league because you got to balance exactly what that kid might do when it comes to the Western League. Exactly. Do they want to go college? Exactly. It's so much, so much more thought than the average person knows. Yeah, and uh, it's definitely not an exact science. So we're not the NHL. We are not the final destination. We are not the only option. So uh, it, it, it definitely, you know, we've had first round picks that have not worked out uh, according to plan. We've had fourth and fifth rounders that have been, you know, spectacular players for us. Yep. So. Uh, 
you know, and in a year, I think people need to be mindful of the fact that we're drafting players that are turning 15 in this calendar year. They're 2004 born players. From that 15 year old year to their 16, 17 year old year, there's a lot of change that takes place, you know, both physically, yep. or sometimes it doesn't take place as much as <laughs> they would hope, and, and maybe they don't grow to, um, you know, the height that they hoped to, or we hoped, or, you know, and, and, and mentally, you know, it's a, it's a tough time for a lot of kids in, in life too. So there's a lot of challenges that uh, factor in. And, uh, you know, there's different interests. Uh, kids may, may change within that year and maybe hockey's not a priority any longer. Uh, maybe it's education. Maybe it's another sport. Uh, maybe it's a relationship. Uh, yeah. Maybe their family has relocated They're to another 15, province. Like there's so, so many different things absolutely. that can happen. So we're projecting, yeah. you know, what years 16 to 20 hopefully look like. Yeah. In Steinbeck, in Steinbeck. Yeah. that's right. So, uh, not uh, like I said. I think we're probably if, if a third of them work out according to plan, um, y- you know, you probably take that. Uh, Paul Dick, head coach of the Steinbeck Pistons. Uh, we're going to do a full draft recap once all the names are out. Um, you'll give us some insight on each player once you've selected them. That'll come up uh, on Monday, June the tenth or eleventh. Uh, but we'll end with this, Paul. Uh, I know it's it's so hard to sit here on the outset. Do you have a draft strategy in mind? Are fans going to be able to say, okay, this is where Paul Dick believes the Pistons will go in a couple years from now? Or are you going to take the best player available? And do you have a set position in mind maybe you're looking for? Well, you know, those <laughs> that's a good question. You know, uh, we have a list, obviously. So we, we assess our list and can we identify weaknesses or are there years where we are, you know, heavier in one position than another? Um, but sometimes those numbers change too because of, you know, a player might choose to go to the Western Hockey League or two or three from that one year may do that. Uh, now we have a maybe a gaping hole in one year. So, you know, even within the next week, that can potentially change. So um, I, I don't think we've, you know, positionally we like the balance we have in our depth. Um, if anything, we may be a little heavy, uh, you know, on the back end. Which is okay. Um, which is okay. It's never too, it's never a bad thing to have too many D, Absolutely. especially right-handed defense. When when you're looking for players, um, you know, no dis- disrespect to the forwards out there, but it always seems like there are more forwards available than there are D, and what? and uh, we've seen that already on the wire here in the last month. There's an abundance of of goaltending, and uh, and forwards, and very few quality defensemen that uh, teams are willing to part with. So. Uh, you know, you see that at the for people that follow the NHL, it's the same issue there, right? Yeah, it's the same issue at every level of hockey. It's like right. a left-handed pitcher in baseball. If you can find a right-handed puck-moving defenseman, yeah. that's as good as gold at, at any level of hockey. Uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And uh, you know what? Their value uh, their, their values at a premium. and um, So w- when you get those types of players, you typically want to hold on to them, even yeah. if you're a little deeper. And, and you feel like you can move a piece, you're reluctant to do it because you just don't know no. uh, you know, what the future holds with some other guys. Yeah, uh, so then uh, do you have a strategy in mind or do you just go best player or do you well, have an idea of how you're going to attack the draft? You know, what? It, we always have a plan going in. Typically, we wind up going best player available, yeah. particularly when you get into the third round. And, and then maybe there is somebody that is out of position. Uh, let's say you've selected a defenseman and a forward and uh, you get to that third round and you you know, you're surprised to see a certain defenseman. You might go with another defenseman. And um, so that's really kind of been our approach. 
Um, and that's where the scouts work really comes in. I think rounds three through seven or three through six is really where they put in their due diligence. Yeah, they have a pretty good handle of, you know, who the players are, what they bring to the table. You know, we don't want to bring seven or six players into the draft or select six players that are all very, very similar. Yeah. Um, you know, and the way they play, obviously we, we hope to bring in six players that have the common denominator of strong character. Yep. And, and work ethic, et cetera. But, um, you know, we ideally like to find a balance positionally. Um, you know, you don't want to bring in six left wingers. You don't want to bring in as much as you want a right-handed defenseman. You don't <laughs> want six right-handed puck-moving D-men either. <laughs> but, no balance. Uh, it's got to yeah, be balanced. It's ha- it has to be balanced. So that's always one of our goals every year is to, to, to bring balance uh, to our list through the draft. Uh, you touched on it uh, when we first started, but uh, some spaces available if people are looking to maybe uh, jump on the staff, especially in a certain area. Uh, are you looking for people, and how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, they can info or email us at, at info at steinbackpistons.ca. We are looking for an equipment manager. That position's been held by uh, Riley Kosmolak, who's with the Moose now, and uh, Ryan Dick, who's who's moving on. Both fantastic kids, and man, like they put a lot of heart and soul in that job. Absolutely, you know, they became a part of our team, and uh, you know, spending. Um, it's it's not necessarily a it's not a career at this stage, <laughs> but uh, you know, for Riley, he's transitioned. It's given him an opportunity at the pro level. That was always his desire, so he used it as a as a stepping stone. And I think Ryan just viewed it as an opportunity to be a part of our team and yeah. you know contribute to our community as well and, and they'll uh, be alumni both have championship rings I yeah mean, both are both are alumni yeah it's, they're both great cool. stories and yeah different personalities and and uh but became a part of kind of the pistons family so um we have we have filled uh janice um janice fender has uh resigned as our billet coordinator after serving for seven years so uh, we're you know so thankful for the for the commitment she made to us and the job that she did, behind yes, the scenes. a lot oh. of uh, uh, things that go unnoticed. Yeah, and um, unnoticed, it, but never uh, unappreciated, oh, no. especially by the oh, parents yeah. of the players. Absolutely, I mean. and it takes, certainly took a lot off my plate. But uh, you know, so that being said, uh, Stacy Frase has come on as our new bill coordinator. She's been a her and Sheldon have been a, a billets for a number of years, done a terrific job. and They'll be fantastic. Um, I mean, be tr- she'll be tremendous. You think well. Ryan Carlson's still in contact with them? Matt Gomersic yeah. is, still, is still chatting with them. I mean, they're fantastic, Absolutely. fantastic it's, billets. It's one of the most desirable destinations for the new guys coming in. So, <laughs> so just equipment manager is uh, up right now, and uh, we can. Uh, if you want to email information, you can do it to which, uh, which email? Info at steinbackpistons.ca. Paul, thank you so much for taking so much time breaking it all down, and we'll talk a little bit after the draft and then training camp. Uh, Very exciting times. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thanks, Dave.